Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. Okay. So it started with um, Adam Dorner, and he came from Germany via California. He worked a year or two at Behringer's and headed north. Uh, I I think the draw here was he came to work on the um, Winchester Bridge. He was a concrete man. And while he was here, there were other Germans, the von Pessels, and um, what? You don't like the way I tell the story? He's buying. Oh, <laughs> he bought property and uh, sent back to Germany for his bride, and and that's how they got here. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, Adam had. In uh, Germany, he had been—I don't know if he'd been a brewmaster or whatever. There, he had been—he'd been in the uh, Kaiser's army. He was a corporal, and uh, and it's some and this was related. You know, obviously it's third hand or fourth hand for me that uh, he had. Uh, uh, I mean, they understood the war was coming way before they just like for an excuse and the had the opportunity, and so then uh, he immigrated. Uh, sailed around the Horn, uh, went to San Francisco, went up to St. Helena and worked for the Behringers. And then, uh, meanwhile, he had some old uh, uh, German uh, friends or whatever that were up here. They contacted him or he contacted them and they said they could, uh, they were growing grapes up here and they could grow the kind that he wanted. So he uh, took a, a train to um, Canyonville and then they had to get on a stagecoach because that's as far as it went. And then he came up and he lived with the, uh, I believe it was the Von Pessels, and uh, uh, they, he found some property and, and he started that sort of thing. And, and I'm not, I don't know how many years or whatever went on. And then he sent for uh, his girlfriend or whatever it was, and she uh, sailed around the Horn also and to San Francisco and then took the, by this time they finished the railroad to Roseburg, and he met her at the um, uh, station with a, uh, a wagon, and he took her to the courthouse, and they made it legal, and uh, and brought her home. And uh, my father-in-law always told about his grandmother, he said, well, you know, my grandfather was the boss, but my grandmother ran it all. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it was kind of the... Uh, uh, it, always interesting that his uh, view of his grandmother, she wasn't a real very big person, but apparently uh, ruled the rules pretty much. Well. Yeah. I think it first started out he grew enough for himself, and then it developed into a business. Um, I know that they used to Sundays at the at the Dorners and and probably as my my grandfather then went into the I think he was more serious in the business sense um, but they would have the German community 
would come and, and they would spend the day sitting around the yard all drinking <laughs> Dorner wine. <laughs> yes, originally, these, this, this area, the, they had different areas that had, you know, the, the Germans uh, lived here and the French lived, you know, Melrose, Melrose. and uh, Elgros had the, uh, the Swedish community. And and they were all wine drinkers from the old country. They were all immigrants. And, uh, so. and they built, uh, they planted uh, grapes actually a couple different times. They had Riesling. Uh, the, uh, the Adam had brought up Zinfandel from Beringer's. And, uh, and, and I don't know exactly, I'm just, I've seen a list. Uh, when we later reproduced some of these things, we still had part of a vineyard. Uh, Zinfandel, Sauvignon Vert, uh, one called Isabella, Berger was another, which was a German one. Um, and uh, those those were still left. Unfortunately, the Riesling was no longer there because we would like to have grown that one up. But Adolf, Adolf ran it as a business. He he and his wife, neither of them drank. Um, he was a total teetotaler. <laughs> um, Adam, I think, drank quite heavily. <laughs> from what I gather. <laughs> I mean, my memories of the winery are, are from the time I remember. I mean, there always was a winery, and it always had wine in it, and you'd go over, and it was dark, and it smelled really good, and, and um, they bottled it. He went to town once a week on Fridays, um, drove a station wagon and he'd load it with wine and he would go to town and um, get rid of it. That was his marketing. <laughs> we always, I remember, uh, and I don't know where it went, but we always went to the Greyhound bus depot. And so he must have shipped wine, Greyhound, you know, to some other, the coast or Grants Pass or someplace. But it wasn't there was a wasn't a romance of the wine like uh, there is now. <laughs> it it was something you drank and it was a business. You know. Well, when the when Adam and the uh, the German community and known there are some photos of them uh, on Sundays. I mean, they had whole families would come out and they would literally spend the day. And they would, you know, and they were all immigrants, and they were used to drinking wine, and, and it was, you know, that, all that sort of thing. And then, you know, America changed for uh, some years, and different uh, different groups and, and things. And uh, so, uh, you know, until 19, it kind of went south for a while, until 1960 or so, and then it started going the other way again. So at that time... You know, the winery was the only one I'm told in Oregon that survived Prohibition. Um, and they quit making wine Sometime in, the 50s. in the early 50s, I think, yeah. And then later, um, after my grandfather died, my father didn't really have an interest in the winery. He um, decided it was more bother than it was worth. And he loaded the last of it. The, the Umqua Dairy tanker truck came out and, and loaded it up and took it, put it on a tanker car and the railroad tracks, and it was 
shipped to New York, supposedly to be made into vinegar. No, it wasn't that much. It was 30,000. But during that time, they they removed, they had a small block of grapes left, and um, that was the time that we met Richard Somers. He came north, and he had a lot of questions. And, and I can remember as a child him tootling up on a, on a weekend, a rainy day, and coming to the door. I, I don't know what he needed, and, you know, asking my mother, who was that man? <laughs> and... Um, he tended the little vineyard for a year or so, and I, I believe he made some wine off of it also. We kind of thought he was crazy, you know. <laughs> Making wine. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? <laughs> well, he was a, you know, he was a really young man then. You know, he was like a college student. Um, um, but we had dealt, we had dealt with him for years and years and, and things, and uh, he, um, uh, you know, he really was an innovative person, and uh, he, uh, of course, he not only did the Pinot, he was really into Riesling, and 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 it was just interesting to see some things that we shipped him some uh, Zinfandel and some Merlot and some Syrah, I think, and. Uh, and uh, and he just uh, uh, he was always looking for kind of new adventures. We kind of knew him in, in his past when uh, when Patty Green and uh, uh, Donna April and, and they were involved and they kept things going really well. Uh, later on, we after Dyson Demar had uh, and Susan had purchased it, and we were up one time because it was a storage area and and Dyson. Uh, and we were trying, and he brought out some Riesling that was absolutely rocket. And I go, where did this come from? He says, there's pallets of it. I said, I have never tasted this board. He said, nope, he was saving it. And it was, I mean, really, really wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So fast forward, you came back from Oregon State, and Scott Henry had planted grapes down here, and, and my brother had returned. He'd, he'd had a job in San Francisco, and between the two of them, they decided they, they wanted to grow grapes. And my dad said, why in the world would you want to do that? And, and But okay. And so we planted them, and then he later planted grapes again and said he was going to show us how it was done. And um, in the end, he ended up changing his ways. Well, and everything he did was, you know, head pruned and, and we had wire and trellis and, and he ended up doing the same. Of course, I mean, I, everything. I remember my grandfather dusting grapes. He had a Pump, pump duster, and it was a backpack thing, and poof, 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 <laughs> everywhere, stink. Oh. <laughs> there was none. That <laughs> yeah, was before that. Uh, Ralph Garen actually was the head of the uh, small fruits at Oregon State, and it was because of 
actually, I, I had been in Europe and before that, and, and uh, had kind of stumbled upon the wine areas as I was doing some traveling, and uh, and so uh, it was interesting, you know, to do some things, and, and Oregon State was, you know, this was just coming on, and, you know, there were, a, you know, I've since these people now have come in, but it was in the original group that were kind of interesting. I mean, they, these people were, and Doyle Hinman and, and I had discussed this for years. It was the Pinot thing, and we grew a little Pinot, uh, and uh, Doug grew more than I did, and I and I said, I am not, it, there's too much planted, and I didn't do it. And then Doyle Hinman and I have talked numerous times over after this and went to how could we be so wrong that I have no idea? <laughs> but uh, uh, but it was, you know, the Pinot thing. And as we see out here now, I mean, we have all these northern uh, wineries who are coming to the Umpqua Valley. The Real Pinot and, and some of these varieties. It's kind of interesting to see that. So, uh, but, yeah, it's... It, it, We've lived long enough that we see that the people are thinking that Chardonnay is a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I heard, I heard that. I heard you say that, and I went, oh, we had years we couldn't even get rid of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we should be known for able to grow a lot of things. <laughs> Variety. We have seen the. I mean, it was interesting to see what the Dorners had because we we compare. There's some photos, and I have to look for them, of, um, of uh, either Adolf or Adam Dorner with a prune box. You know what a size of prune box is, and five bunches of Zinfandel filled it. Yeah, so they, that's how they, large they were. Big, big. There's a, it is a photo of it. Five, five bunches filled. Into that it. photo. And uh, and so we've watched it, and they they were able to, uh, and, and it was it's interesting listening to to Shelley's father, and uh, is it I mean here we have all this modern equipment now, and we're checking the sugars and and the, you know the pH and the acids, and we're doing that. And he said, he said, well, what was how'd your dad look at? It? He says he says when they start to pucker the fruit, then it was time to pick. But, Okay, I mean, that was, I mean, that's it, a whole different sort of deal. Um, the, uh, and and so, actually, it was like the Zinfandel clone, and I spoke to some people at UC David, they were doing a heritage thing about Zinfandel, and I said, I have one that uh, has been grown up in Oregon here since the, you know, 1870s, and uh, so if you guys ever want to, you know, as we're replanting all our vineyards now because of Quattra, we will, you know, we have some and we'll retain, we'll graft some over and we'll keep some just, you know, it's a heirloom kind of a thing, you know. Well. I think, I think at first no one took it seriously. Yeah. And this was everyone now who planted grapes. Now here. it's a real business, you know. I mean, we're first of all, they were all farmers, and uh, Scott Henry's background. I mean, he has a farming background, and uh, and we started small. All of us started with an acre, you know, and and then you know the big guys were twenty acres, uh, and and we thought. I mean, 
And probably the biggest thing that we, other than the phloxer problem in rootstock, uh, was the trellising systems. We did everything on wood, and now, you know, we, we don't have any wood, and then we did it, I mean, we have changed, we, when we originally started, it would take us days to pound in an acre of, <laughs> of wood posts and, and all this. Now, I mean, we can literally put acres and acres in every day. Uh, a different thing, spacings have changed. Um, uh, we're watching our neighbors here, Duck Pond, and, and their spacing is way different than ours. Uh, so we've watched that, and, and one of the things the industry missed here in Southern Oregon is that because of the flocker thing and, and all the discussions that said, not going to happen, and if it is, it's going to be slow. That isn't true. And and so all the original research that was done in the Umqua Valley was done on river bottom, and it had all these uh, different uh, uh, rootstocks that had no correlation to the rest of us who were, growing, were dryland farming up on the benches. And so when we realized we had a problem and we started doing this, it was like, this is, you know, and, and unfortunately for some of the... Uh, the California transplants, who, you know, Dyson DeMar, who was then with uh, Mondavi, said, oh, well, this ought to work, and this ought to, and, and, and my experiences in Germany tell me this is going to go. And so at least that gave us a clue. And because what was being pushed by the uh, nurseries, you know, the dry land, you know, it is, they, they won't work here. That's probably the biggest change. <laughs> Evolution. Yes, evolution is right. Metamorphosis is actually so. <laughs>
I mean, when it started out as a grower, um, we had some years we even shipped grapes to California. You had you had to be able to um, help carry the wineries financially. They depended on you, you know, to spread out, and 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 that's changed. You know now. You know, you sell your grapes, and, and it's more of a business deal. When we first, some of the first years we sold grapes, we sold to GRDs, and and it wasn't large quantities, but we, we would pick, I think it was Riesling, wasn't it? Actually, Chardonnay. Chardonnay, and then we'd take it out there, and then... Then we'd run it through the Then crusher. we'd have to help them run it through the crusher. <laughs> and uh, and, and Philip and uh, Bonnie would, uh, you know, and they had this equipment. I mean, they were just starting just like starting everyone, out. and uh, and their crew was their children who were were little kids, and so you would work all day, and then you'd go out free, and help and help them, and you would help help so them get your your bins back. Yeah, uh, it was and, okay, uh, and that was okay. I mean, there Bonnie Jarrett is a wonderful woman, and uh, it was fine. And uh, <laughs> but that's just, and it, I mean, and it just wasn't us. It was, you know, the people at a whole, we did that sort of thing. And uh, uh, Richard Mansfield, who was Callahan Ridge, uh, was, you know, quite a promoter, good good guy, good, good winemaker. Um, and it was always a, you know, fun thing. We, we used to have something, uh, the growers did a pig feed. Well, they still do some years, but it's different than but it was. But it's different. It was, it was the real growers. And... And, and a lot of your crew people, you know, were invited and whatever, and then it kind of, you know, it went from there to a whole, a whole different thing. It wasn't, you know, the real crew out there doing that sort of thing. But it's, you know, that's kind of the maturation of any business, I suspect. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Shelly's brother was. It, and uh, and we we did a little in the beginning, but um, we just didn't have time. Yeah, we didn't have time, and and you know we were we were growing grapes, and a lot of that was more towards uh, wineries and marketing. I mean, not that we didn't want to support them, because but but. You know, they would be more involved than we would as growers. Well, some of the early things too. We had families. I mean, we had. Yeah. And and grapes aren't the only thing. You know, over the years we have sheep and um, we've grown Christmas trees and I mean we've had other crops to deal with. So. And the original part of the uh, the the things that went on in the wine industry was really only geared for north. It wasn't in the, uh, we we did kind of feel like stepchildren. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then you know, the, and the taxing issues and things was a real um, gripe because we we you know we were paying a tax and we just we considered it a sin tax for growing grapes. And then we and it was supposed to be promoting Oregon wines. And then we were shipping our grapes to professors in in uh, California. And then they, they immediately changed it and I had to pay taxes. In Oregon, for what I shipped to California, I went, and I, I thought that was a little unjust, and uh, so. Uh, but it's it's all evolved, you yeah. know. I mean, it, it um, the industry needs a centralized um, organization like wine growers. And they've done a and 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 
I'm the first to admit their promotional of uh, Kino is phenomenal. They have done something that I, uh, I, I just I cannot believe. And, uh, you know, the Pinot has is, is been, you know, the standard Oregon wine, which was kind of, you know, there were all kinds of other wines and things there, and, they, and they really, they've done a wonderful job. They've been able to promote themselves and, and whatever I had, had kind of thought that if I, that I wish that more research had been done, you know, not only in the clones, but the rootstocks and all that sort of thing. I didn't feel that maybe that there'd been enough investment in that. Sky's the limit. <laughs> I'm, I, I mean, I used to have, Bobby Fetzer used to come up, and he was, the Fetzer family were really, really nice people. And they would come up, and we we used to deal with them, and we <laughs> we just thought this was like the rest of us, just a little mom-pop operation. And then we went down and realized this is like going to, this is not a mom-and-pop operation. <laughs> and Bobby Fetzer would come out, bouncing out, and go, hey, I'm Bobby Fetzer. And it's like, oh, my goodness sakes. And then spend the day with you running around, and we were just ho-dunk little growers. And then he would come in, he liked to fish, and he was just a character, and we got along, and you know, they'd fly in or he'd drive in and give us a call on a Sunday morning and say, hey, I'm on my way to Seattle. Yeah, let's go look at grapes or, or, or that. And, uh, and so, I don't know. Uh, it, it, but he all, all he could say was uh, this area just looked like, yeah. um, what is it? Uh, you know, well, it was a Redwood Valley. Redwood said, Valley when he said, moved there. So you ought to be looking at acquiring more real estate. He said, this is, this, this place, it's got, a lot of potential, and he would he'd be gawking as he was driving around, and uh, and and it's kind of come to uh, that perhaps as you can look around, I you know probably in the last what three years of a thousand new acres here, give or take something like that. So, uh, interesting. Hopefully there'll be more. And hopefully with that we'll preserve enough area. Um, I'm not. I'm not so sure that John Q. Public in Douglas County realizes how important agriculture is, or um, retaining uh, these lands that could potentially be uh, vineyard lands. I don't have any stories to start with. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting to Dyson Navarre, who's as you've met, is just what a character, and and the things that probably ten years ago now, I guess, and we were discussing, you know, if you've been through the Napa Valley and you're looking at all these things, and and, uh, and discussing personalities and groups. <laughs> yeah, don't go there. She tells me so. Uh, and, uh, but it's it's interesting that he said, you know, there, there'll be some people and you know, come through, and, and he's right. You, you, you see some, you know, all you know, kinds. It takes all kinds, I guess, but they're different, different than the original just farmers that came with grew grapes, definitely.
Well. Yeah, my dad said they made more money during Prohibition than not by selling juice. They said they sold juice and people made their own wine. I didn't have any reason to believe otherwise, but you sure wonder. <laughs> but they did. They did well. I mean, they, um, Adolf and Adam kind of goes back to the um, the ethnic German thing that with their friends who tend to be business people and they own the grocery stores and they own the uh, the Coca-Cola, turned out Coca-Cola plant and all this. Mortuary. The mortuary, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you realized, and, and actually not till Shelley's mother passed away, we're at a mortuary and uh, and, and Shelley's dad turns and he goes, you know, we used to own part of this. I'm going, are you serious? <laughs> I mean, I had never mentioned that. You know, I said, really? And he goes, well, yeah, Dad was chairman of the board. And then, then you got the kind of the drift that you see these people traded money amongst themselves and did that sort of thing. Well, so, it was different. They never operated on borrowed money. I mean, and you know. their friends, they, they were in business with their friends. Yeah. And that they made somebody had a subdivision and built houses or whatever, and there were lots, and there were just things like that. that, that uh, <laughs> so you kind of started to see there was a pattern of whatever and why they were all friends, because they were in business together. Yeah. Common interest. And, yeah. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.